Hey, hey, everyone. A couple things before we get started. A quick reminder that this episode is part of a series we are doing with Intel called No Place to Hide. And if you haven't listened to the first three episodes in this series, you should do that now. Just go back into your SoBob podcast feed and listen to the first three episodes of No Place to Hide from the end of 2019. You'll be glad you did. Also, we should mention that we recorded all of this audio you're about to hear before the COVID outbreak. So you're going to hear moments where Bob and I are hanging out together, talking about going out on the town, traveling. That was all long before the new social distancing reality we live in. And last thing, in this episode you're about to listen to, there are multiple references to violence and domestic abuse. So parts of it may be difficult to hear. Okay, on with the show. Spoke Media. You have one new voice message. Hey, Aaron. Hi. Gosh, it's been too long, huh? You remember my friend Andrew? Yeah, he works for a data broker now. He helped me get a hold of your number. You know, I really miss you and Noah. I was thinking the other day about that time we surprised him at school on his birthday and took him to the zoo. The look on his face when he saw the polar bear, it was just, I'll never forget that. That was a good day. It's been what, like two years? It's like you've been hiding from me. I just, I don't know what to do, you know? I don't know what I did wrong here. I'm just a father who wants to see his son. I think I deserve that. I've heard Ohio's nice this time of year. I saw this picture online of someone I'm pretty sure is Noah in a third grade class in Ohio. Man, thank God for the internet, huh? You fucked up, Aaron. I'll see you soon. Noah. Noah, wake up. Mm. Come on, sweetheart. We need to wake up now. We have to go. School's not until eight. We're not going to school. We need to get out of here. Grab your things. Clothes, shoes, and blankets. Put them in your suitcase. I'm loading up the rest in the car. What's happening? It's your dad. He found us. How did he find us? I'm not sure, Noah. I have to call the school and let them know we're not coming back. At all? No, Noah, we can't. But school's right there! I know. I know, but we can't, Noah. We have to keep you safe. This isn't fair, Mom. Columbus Elementary School. This is Jen. How can I help you? Jen. Jen, thank God. It's Aaron. Aaron, hey, hon. What's wrong? Running behind today? No. God, no. I wish. He found us, Jen. Michael found us. How did he find you? Are you sure it's him? I don't know how it happened, but he called me. He called me and said something about class photos. He saw a photo of Noah, but I have no clue how he'd have found a single photo. That seems impossible. Slow down, hon. It's gonna be okay. We have to get out of here. I'm so sorry. Okay, it's okay. 
Do you need me to call the police? No, we just have to get out of town. Okay. I'll take care of everything with Noah here. Thank you. I'll call for his records when we find somewhere safe. I don't know when that'll be. Hang on. Give me one second. Sir? Sir, can I help you? Sir, you can't go into the school without signing in here with me. I'm here to pick up my son. Noah? Shit. I'm Aaliyah Tavakolian. And I'm Bob Sullivan. And this is No Place to Hide, a So Bob miniseries on the state of privacy, brought to you by Intel. The story of Aaron and Noah is fiction, but it's based on interviews we've done with professionals who work to help abused family members on the run from their abusers. We were worried about potentially endangering a survivor if we told a real person's story. So we've created Aaron and Noah to make this important point safely. In the first half of this series, we talked about Amy Boyer, murdered by her stalker, who used data brokers to track her down. We stressed that for some people, privacy is a matter of life and death. In this series, we plan to show you that with the story of Aaron and Noah. Think of them as a composite of all the other stories we've gathered. And along with this story, we're going to continue to talk about your privacy. We're going to talk about cameras, location data. We're going to talk about the future. We know why privacy matters, but we all have this vague sense like it's slowly being taken away from us. So the irresistible question is, what might the future look like if our privacy is gone completely? Today we went on location, as they say, in Los Angeles to make another point about location data. Bob, I just moved here to Los Angeles and you came to visit me. You're one of my very first visitors and I was super excited to have you here. And I was having a lot of fun checking places out. A lot of fun. Yeah. And now I'm a little embarrassed. Against my better judgment, I let Aaliyah look at my Google location history for just the last 24 hours. Seemed harmless enough because I'm a tourist in a fun city. And if you've never looked at your Google location timeline, listener, I highly recommend you press pause on this podcast and open it up right now because it is fascinating slash scary slash disturbing. Basically, it's a map of all the places you've been and maybe even how you got there, whether you walked or drove or took public transportation over the last day, week, month, years, if you've never done anything about it, like turned it off. So Bob gave me access to his map, and I just got some insight into how Bob spends his time. It's incredibly detailed. It's minute by minute, step by step, floor by floor. But the point of this exercise was whether or not you use Google Maps, this exact same kind of map of your life exists at every mobile phone carrier that you have ever worked with. Okay, so good morning. You found me. I found you. It was not hard. Where are we? Woodcat Coffee Bar. Here in Echo Park in L.A. Um, this is me and Bob this morning, looking like, at Bob's location data from yesterday on my uh, phone. You see uh, from my timeline history, not just that I'm here, but I think more importantly, now you know when I got here. Yeah, so it looks like you got here at 8.26 a.m. Looks like you started moving, though, at 8.24 a.m., so it's like a two-minute walk from your hotel right, here. Very close to my hotel. Now, wow. do you respect me more or less that I got here at 8.24 a.m.? I respect you, Bob. I got here late. 
When did you start working today? I started working at 7 a.m. Now, I'm going to guess that both you and the listeners can't help but judge the time that I got to work. Some people think that means I'm, I work hard, some people think that means I work early, but that single fact already creates a picture in your mind. Now, if we open up the list of all the things I did today, what's the first things on the list? Oh my god. <laughs> so, you were from 12.05 a.m. to 12.40 a.m., you were having a cocktail at Little Joy Cocktails on Sunset. I was, wow. I was reporting. I was sure. news gathering. <laughs> I'm in L.A. This is I have, I have three days in L.A., three nights in L.A. I'm going to go see things. The bar is right across from my hotel, so I went, to, I went to get a cocktail. But now, I'll bet you, Kelly, and everybody listening, has made even more judgments about me. And these are two facts. These are just two facts. If we go back to yesterday, you're going to see a whole lot more things. Oh, my God. Okay, I want to go back to yesterday. I want to see the whole day. It's time warp back to yesterday morning so you can stalk me through the day yesterday. I guess we should start where you started. So you started at a place called Eightfold Coffee. Well, I guess we got to go there. Got to go back to the scene of the crime. Go start there. of your day. And what time? Oh, it looks like you were there at 8.14 a.m. Amazingly consistent, aren't I? Wow. Good for you, Bob. <laughs> okay, I'll see we you ended up going through Bob's day backwards, passing the places he went yesterday, including the bar he was at so till cool. 1 a.m. And they would know exactly where I went. Yeah, Google could tell me that you biked <laughs> from true, Little actually. Joy Cocktails to Low Boy. <laughs> I'm, I'm really upset that you know when I got home. <laughs> because I feel like that ruins my reputation. That, that was pretty early. You did get home pretty early for your, for your life. <laughs> for my life. <laughs> then to his Airbnb. Wow. So this is where you came at uh, like 1 a.m. <laughs> or like 12.35. Come on. So you rolled in here at... 1 a.m. See, there you go again, exaggerating. <laughs> and you ate your burrito here. <laughs> here next to the bed, I see it. There's the burrito evidence. Burrito evidence. Bob had ended up going to approximately eight places yesterday, from morning till after midnight, which I include as yesterday because it's confusing. It felt a little weird knowing his whereabouts down to the minute, even going so far as to knowing whether he walked or biked or drove to those locations. Somehow I survived. So now... We have to walk the two minutes yes. to so, get to... So we're recreating yesterday yeah. morning now. now <laughs> yes. stalked me today. Yes. So I'm Bob. I'm thinking about the burrito I'm going to eat later tonight. And I rolled out of bed. And here I go. Okay, so there's Subaki. Oh. And I've heard Ototo is their bar they just opened. Oh. That looks really cool. It's very yummy. And you know, I walked right past that and didn't notice it yesterday. <laughs> it's fair. And finally, here we are at Eightfold Coffee, where he started his day. We made it. We did it. Ooh, boxing. You want to take a boxing class? Jiu-jitsu. Okay, okay, that was fun. And stalking me, seeing where I went on a morning as a tourist, you know, it was kind of cute. Go to some coffee shops, they do touristy things, no big deal. You met some dogs. Right. But I want to give you a, a mental experiment, Aaliyah. Okay. So I get your phone from you, and you give me access to your location history. Which I would never do. And... I look at it and I find out that, you know, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you get to work at about 8.15. You go to the same coffee shop in the middle of the morning. You never go home straight from work. Oh, here's this other address. That's where Ethel goes to doggy daycare. Okay, no big deal. But look, on Tuesday afternoons, it seems in the middle of the afternoon, you go to this other office park. Let me go to Google Earth and look up that address. And 
Oh, it's, it's a medical office park. Well, Leah, what do you do on Tuesday afternoons when you go to this medical office park? Uh, so not only could you figure out my habits of my everyday life, you could figure out some things that are like maybe really private to me. Like what kind of doctors I'm visiting, for what reason, or where my therapist office is, or some things that are deeply personal that I would not want anyone to know. Anyone that's not extremely close to me. A single piece of location information doesn't seem that distressing, but when you can put it all on a map over time and build a picture of someone's life, that's when you've really, really invaded their privacy. You know, it kind of reminds me of this person that I knew a long time ago, Bob. And I remember one day we were having coffee and he was telling me about how uh, assassinations worked. And I thought that was really creepy. But do you know what the first rule was to figure out how to assassinate someone? The rule was you get to know their habits and you get to know their days and you watch them. Where they go, how they get there, when they get there every single day. Because if you know their habits, then you know where the holes are when you might do the deed. That's what Liam Ewens did to Amy Boyer. Yeah, that's really scary. So what you're talking about in, like, learning someone's habits, their daily whereabouts, you can look for opportunities to do something terrible, potentially. And he was talking about it in, like, the old school sense of, you know, like, stakeouts or watching this person. And what you're talking about is basically you don't have to do that anymore because Google does it for you. And not just Google, of course. Any cell phone does this for you. Mobile devices are tracking devices. And so who has access to that information? Almost certainly through the terms and conditions boxes that you've checked, your mobile provider. You probably have dozens of apps on your phone that track and store and share your location information. Hundreds of companies in between are collecting these incredibly personal details and profiles of your movements. You know, I recently wrote about this selfie app that teenagers love. It has 300 million downloads, and it sends all those teenagers' location information to the developer in China. Oh, my God. And, you know, there's that New York Times expose on location data that we've both been obsessed with. Someone basically gave the reporters at the Times a copy of a location database with a year's worth of data. And using that, they were able to track specific people, like a Secret Service agent, someone protecting the president from their home to the White House to their church. And they had this location data for over 12 million people. Just imagine what our fictional angry ex-husband from the opening could do with information like that. That's really scary. When we talk about issues like privacy and data security, I get emotional and philosophical about civil liberties. But maybe you, listener, don't care if Google knows what website you visit or Amazon knows what kind of dog food you buy. But location data is next level. And as our little experiment showed, as that New York Times story showed, something incredible happened in the past decade. The advent of smartphones means that most Americans and about half the people on Earth now carry small, incredibly accurate tracking devices with them at all times. And I don't remember anyone having a great, open, honest debate about the wisdom of that. Yeah, me neither. But I think we should. Yeah, I, you know, I, I can't get half my friends to use like Signal or other encrypted software or to, you know, have two-factor authorization because, you know, we'll trade anything for convenience and speed. That's Brian Hofer. He's a community activist in Oakland, California, and we'll hear a lot more about his activism later. 
But for now, he paints an amazing picture about the importance of location information. It only takes four geospatial data points, so that's time and location, four different geospatial data points to identify over 95% of humans. Why? Because I drive to work the same way, I drive to the gym the same way, I go to the same grocery store, we're creatures of habit. So, you know, whether it's your scooter, uh, whether it's even public transit that now mostly use like electronic payments, uh, obviously license plate readers and obviously cell phones, you only need a couple, you know, four or five data points and you can map somebody out. You can figure out who it is. The question usually is, well, I have nothing to hide, so I have nothing to fear. And that's totally wrong. And I like how Edward Snowden uh, flipped that on his head and said, you have something to protect. What if we just did have an abortion and there's cameras right outside that clinic and a license plate scanner uh, and you're tracking my phone calls, you know, to the clinic and my location? Or what if I keep driving and parking in front of the same cancer doctor's office? Maybe I didn't want to tell you I had cancer. Um, What if I'm exploring my sexuality and there's facial recognition on the front of uh, bars, you know, a same-sex bar that I wanted to walk into, but now I'm scared because there's facial recognition. So all these little data points by themselves, probably not a civil liberties threat, probably not uh, invading my privacy, but together, because of the nature of all the commingled data and databases, Together, what, what we now call it, and you've seen it in uh, Sotomayor's, uh, some of her opinions, we call it the mosaic theory. So, mosaic theory, this is really important. Sure, it's creepy that you could see where I went this morning, but it should be even creepier to think that with just a couple of details, you could probably size up my whole life. Yeah. And imagine if you're Aaron and Noah from our opening and you're running from this angry ex-husband. And in just a moment with data like this, he would know exactly when to show up at school to snatch a child. This is so critical that it takes so little in order to actually see someone's entire life. We talked to Mark Groman about this. He, He was the first ever chief privacy officer at the Federal Trade Commission. Yeah. And he was a senior advisor for privacy in the Obama White House. If you have my precise location over, say, a couple of weeks, you essentially can draw highly sensitive inferences about my entire life. You will understand my religious beliefs, my political beliefs, my health issues potentially. And by the way, it's so precise now, we know not just that you're in the hospital, but if you're in a 12-story building, we know what floor in the hospital. Damn. The precision thing. I never thought about the precision thing. And that's what, again, when you pull up your Google location history, that's what's shocking about it. You know, they know how long it took you to get from here to there. You can probably even infer, you know, where the bad traffic was on that particular day. So one side of this is how little data you need to reconstruct someone's life and how precise the data collection has become. Yeah, and the other side of this is something that Susan Grant of the Consumer Federation of America talked to us about, and that's something called mega profiles. And I got to say, I got chills hearing about this. Location is just one of the many very revealing things about you that can be compiled into uh, mega profiles about you. So it's not just where you are at any given moment, but it's where you go most frequently, which can tell a lot about you. Um, Where you go to church reveals what your religion is, for instance. These are things that people have a right to keep private if they want. 
and uh, yet this information is being collected when it's not needed. Okay, this all sounds like truly awful. Tracking gadgets in our pockets, in our bags, really precise data being sent to companies we work with all around the world, readily available to the government. But I have to ask a question I know you're going to love, Bob. So, Bob, who's making money off of all this location information? As always, this is the most important question to ask. And I had wondered about this for a long time. Why are these companies making these free apps and pushing them so hard? And Fortunately, BuzzFeed answered this question for us with some great reporting. Look, an app can send your GPS coordinates to the developer 14,000 times a day. That's so much information. But more importantly, there are these brokers, and they pay about $4 a month for every 1,000 users. Now, $4 a month doesn't sound like a lot, but if they have a million active users, that's $4,000 a month. And that's just from one broker. Quoting from the BuzzFeed story, with more dangerous permissions given by the user, they will get even more sensitive data, which means they'll make more money. So that selfie app we talked about earlier, it had 300 million downloads. So like how much money must they be making? Exactly. You know, but to me, it's important to remember that big fish eat little fish metaphor from the first half of this series. Bob, I was waiting for a metaphor. It's taken us a really long time to get to your first metaphor today. I know, I know. But big fish eat little fish, right? And that's what keeps the system going. So this consumer group in Norway recently investigated dating apps like Grindr, Tinder, OkCupid, and so on, and found out they were selling sensitive data like location data into this whole ecosystem. But one of the buyers was a firm named Mopub, which is owned by Twitter. Ah, uh, Twitter. Because someone has to be writing these big checks and driving this whole ecosystem. And again, like, when did we decide as a society that we were okay with this? I mean, we didn't, right? It just kind of happened. And what is so scary, you know, back when we all read, like, 1984, we thought the government was just going to force everything on us. And what the American business genius was is, nah, just ask people to do it voluntarily, you know? We'll just offer them convenience and they'll do all these things on their own. And most people don't look beneath the hood and don't really look to see what the ramifications are. And if anyone knows the ramifications of a camera everywhere society, it's Brian. They force us out of the car at gunpoint, uh, handcuff us, put us in different cars. My little brother, for some reason, they really freaked out on. He was totally compliant. Uh, They forced him out of the car as well. And when they went to put handcuffs on him, they ended up throwing him on the ground, put a gun against his head, you know, executioner style. They finally come up to me and said, hey, you know, we got an alert, this car is stolen. I was like, that's ridiculous. Next time on No Place to Hide, how did Brian end up in the back of a police car with a gun pointed at his little brother's head? And what does privacy have to do with it all? That's next week. If you or a loved one have experienced or are experiencing domestic violence, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. You can look at our show notes for an extensive list of resources. If you like what you're hearing, head to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. We totally read those, and it helps people find us. No Place to Hide is a Spoke Media production brought to you by Intel, which we should mention has no editorial control over the podcast. It's hosted by me, Aaliyah Tavakolian, and Bob Sullivan. 
were produced by Kelly Kolf with help from Reyes Mendoza, Trey Jones, and our intern, Kendall Lake. Our story editor is Carson McCain. Today's episode was mixed by our senior engineer, Will Short, who also composed our opening and closing themes. The other songs you hear in this episode come from First Comp. Our executive producer is Keith Reynolds. Thanks to our actors in today's episode, Will Short, Caroline Hamilton, Cameron Fuller, and Jenna Hannum. And a special thanks to the folks you heard today in the episode, Brian Hofer, Mark Groman, and Susan Grant. And thanks to Jonathan Thompson for recording us at Gold Diggers in LA. Thanks for listening.